0: sound this good, we'll start uh, half a minute here, let people come into the room, join the live stream, good evening, good evening, as people are entering, just wait for another 10 seconds, we'll get started, okay, all right. Okay, good evening, welcome to this uh, tribute to an extraordinary, unique, holy woman, the Rebetzin the fifth Rebetzin of Chabad. Her site is coming up this Shabbos, Yud Gimel Shvat, 13th day of the month of Shvat, and um, I felt it was the right thing to speak about her and her amazing life. I'll tell you a little bit about how I came to be fascinated with Rebetzin Shetan Asada, it was actually exactly seven years ago. Uh, I was reminded, actually this Shabbos, this past Shabbos, I was in 770, the Shabbos before Yud Shvat, that was in 770, and a bacher came over to me and said when he was a much younger bacher, he was in London yeshiva, and he remembers the Fabrengen that I came, and he remembers that it was Shnas Hakel. Okay? Every seven years, there's a, a year of gathering, the year after the, the sabbatical year. And uh, so this year is a is a hakel year. So he says, I remember it was seven years ago because when you came to London yeshiva, it was also a hakel year. I so said, I'm surprised you remember a Fabrengan from seven years ago. So he started reminding me, and I said, oh, yes, that was an important Fabrengan to me, not because of anything I said, but because of what the Mashpia Rabbi Mendel Gordon said, Mashpia in uh, the London yeshiva there in uh, Golders Green, Kingsley Way. So Rabbi Gordon actually was speaking about how there's a there's a Hayem from Yud Gimel Shvat <clears throat> that talks about what to do, how to observe a yort if the day of burial and the day of passing are not the same day. And many people don't realize the reason that the Rebbe who compiled the Hayem Yim made that the Hayem Yim for that day is because that day, in that year, the Hayem Yim was compiled for the year Tufshin Gimel, 1943, which is exactly 80 years ago. That year. Yud Gimel Shvat was the first site of the Rebetz in Shten Asada, whose day of passing and whose day of burial were not the same day. And he told the fascin- fascinating story behind that, why that happened. It has to do with the Friedrich Rebbe being away, being out of town at the time. And that's a whole fascinating story, which we're going to tell tonight. We're going to tell that story. But Rabbi Gordon told that story, and a lot of what he told me, or told all of us at the came from Zichrei Neis, Memories that he had heard from an older chassid, a shliach who has since passed away, Rabbi David Edelman, who went on shlichus to Springfield, Massachusetts, way back in the 40s. He went already, um, he was sent by the Friedrich Rebbe. But he was there in 1942 when the Rebetzin passed away, and he uh, remembered many of the details. So that's how I began my fascination with this story and i began to look more and more into it and everything i found at every turn was just more and more enthralling and and captivating and it really amazed me how little is known in general by even people who follow chabad or even people who identify as part of chabad like how many people in chabad know for instance even that the Rebbe Shab, the fifth Rebbe of Chabad, that his wife, his Rebbezen, lived in New York. I, I don't know if everybody even knows that. Or how many people know that she is laid to rest just a few feet away from the aisle. How many people pass by that caver constantly, and they, they don't know that the Rebbe Shab's Rebbezen, Rebbezen, Shtehna Sada, is right there? In fact, how many people know that she was the very first Lubavitcher that was laid to rest in that cemetery at all. And in fact, because she's there, that's how the oil came to be, where the oil is today. The fact that Cambria Heights became a place, out of all the places in the world, where tens of thousands of of people come to pour out their hearts and to pray year after year, that's because originally she was the one who was laid to rest there, and that started, that that should become the place, and eventually her son, the Friedrich was laid to rest there, and then after Toshinun Dalat after Gimel Tamas, that's where the Rebbe's oil is. So, how many people even know those basic things? That's why I felt like, in honor of her upcoming Yorzeit, the Shabbos, Yud, Gimel, Shvat, we're going to talk about her, her life, and just hopefully have a, a new appreciation of this incredible tzaddikus. Okay, so let's start with the beginning, birth. Rebbe Zin was born in in 19, in in 1860. Uh, and uh, she was born in the town of Lubavitch. Now you're going to say, of course she was born in Labavich." No, not of course, because, let me explain to you, she didn't grow up in Lubavitch. She was born in Lubavitch when her parents were visiting Labavich. I should tell you who her parents were. Her father was Rav, Rav Yesef Yitzchak, who was one of the seven sons of the Tzemach Tzedek. And her mother was named Chana. Now, who was Chana? Chana was, her maiden name was Tursky. She was from the Chernobyl dynasty. Their names are Torsky from the town of Tveria, um, at Tversky, Tversky is Tveria. Um, her father was Reb Yankiv Yisrael, who was a Chernobyl Rebbe from the Chernobyl dynasty, specifically in the town in Ukraine called Cherkas, And he was married to the daughter of the Mitle Rebbe, Rebbe and That is not the same famous Dvarileya who was the daughter of the Alter Rebbe who sacrificed herself to save her father's life. But this is the daughter of the Mitle Rebbe who obviously was named after the Mitle Rebbe's sister Dverileya. So the Mitle Rebbe's daughter Dverlea married Attorski from the Chernobyl dynasty, the Yankiv Yisrael Machakas, and he in turn had a daughter Hannah who married Rav Yesef Yitzchok, who was the son of the Temur Tzedek. Okay, so Rebbe Tzidkion parents lived in Chakas. They lived by their, their uh, by Rav Yesef Yitzchok's father-in-law, and they were visiting Lubavitch to visit the Temur Tzedek, and that's when the Rebbe was born. She was born in Lubavitch. Okay, they went back to Chakas, That's where she was raised. Now. On another visit, when she was five years old, she was standing next to her first cousin, whose name was Shalom Dovber, And he was the same age, they were both five years old. And Shalom Dovber was the son of the seventh, the youngest son of the Tzemach Tzedek, Rav Shmuel, who eventually became the Rebbe Maharash. So little Shtenah Sara, the daughter of Rav Yesef Yitzchak, and little Shalom Dovber, the son of Rav Shmuel, are standing next to each other, and their zayda their grandfather, the Tzamech who was Rebbe at that time, looks at the two and says, Chosn Kala. Now, people speak like that a lot, they make cute comments about cute little kids, Chosn Kala. But the Tzamech was a Rebbe, and nothing he said was off the cuff. So immediately the parents understood that this was a real deal, and they got together and they wrote up an engagement that in 10 years, this couple will be married. So there were five at the time, they would be married at 15. That was not an unusual un, that was not an unusual age to be married at the time. I'm talking about in the, in the 1860s, 1870s. So uh, 10 years from, henceforth, they will be married, and the, the location of the Chasna will be where? Where would any good-believing Jew write for the location for any event that's going to happen in 10 years? Of course, in Yerushalayim, Yerah with Mashiach. So they wrote it up that the chassanah is going to be in Yerushalayim in 10 years Unfortunately, Mashiach did not come So then there was a whole discussion, where are they going to have the chassanah instead? Well, the chassanah, the Rebbe Rashab Wanted very strongly that the chassanah should be in Labavitch in the town of the Rebbe's The Kala's father, Rav Yisuf Yitzchak At this point, he was no longer living in Chekas. he'd become a Rebbe of his own Says, in the in during those 10 years, the Tzamech Tzedek had passed away already, and the and Rav Yisuf Yitzchok became a Rebbe in his own right, in the town of Avruch. So they were living in Avruch now, and he wanted that the chasne should be in Avruch. So there was back and forth. In the end, they agreed, fine, we'll make the chasne an Avruch, but there was a condition... The Rebbe Marash told his son, the Rebbe Marash did not go. Because of health, he did not go to the Chassanah. But before his son, the Rebbe Reshab left for the Chassanah. He told him, outside of Lubavitch, you do not wear a shtaml. That was a condition. What was the meaning of that? That's, uh, that's up for debate. But that was the instruction. He wouldn't wear the shtamal outside of Lubavitch. The famous picture you see of uh, the Rebbe Reshab was taken in Rostov after he left Lubavitch, so he's, he's obviously not wearing a Streimel, and he didn't wear a shtraymal outside of Lubavitch there's a painting of him wearing a because that's an artist's rendering and he did wear a shtraymal, in fact, in Lubavitch, but not outside so the Chasina was supposed to be of Shabbos there was a whole debacle that happened when the Shver, Rav Yesev Yitzchok, put a Streimel. On the Chosin, on the Rebbe Rashab, and the Rebbe Marash's Gabe, his, his attendant, saw it took it right off. Because the Rebbe said, the Rebbe Marash said, no Shtayim outside of Labavish for the Rebbe Rashab. And uh, there was a whole uh, conflict about it, and they almost called off the Chosinah. And it was Rebbe Tan Shtanah who said, We're not calling this thing off. The Zaydeh, meaning the Temach is the one who made the Shidduch. It's going through. And therefore, it went through, and on Sunday they got married. Okay. After the Chasana, they moved to Lubavitch. So the Chasana was in Avruch, but then they lived in Lubavitch. It's interesting. You know, the Devon Shein saw was it was it was a Kala, she was a married woman, but she was also she was a, a girl, she was 15. She comes to Lubavitch, and she notices all the other girls her age are much taller than her. Apparently, she was not very tall. And she felt bad about it and she actually told her father-in-law, she told the Rebbe Marash. she feels bad that she's so much shorter than the the Lubavitcher girls. You know, where where she came from, I guess she wasn't that much shorter than everyone else. And now she comes to Lubavitch, and she sees all these tall girls, and felt kind of uh, less than. So the Rebbe Marash said to her, short trees give the best fruit. To which, of course, he, he was referring to offspring. He said, don't worry, you're going to have very good offspring. Now, we all know her offspring was her son, the Frida Kerebe. But that's not so simple. That's not so simple either. Uh, I don't know how many miscarriages she had, but she had a very difficult time carrying a baby to term. Uh, she lost pregnancies, and there were fertility issues. And... It was four years since the Hasna. She hadn't been able to uh, give birth. And actually, uh, it was Simchas Torah, And they made mishaberechs for the women. And I guess she wanted her name to be mentioned in a mishaberech because of the fertility issues. But for whatever reason, her name was omitted. And she felt very bad that didn't mention her in the Meshav And uh, she said she went off to her own room and she was crying after the Kiddush. I don't know if this means the night or the day because Chesidim make a Kiddush, Simchas Torah night as well. But she went off uh, to her room to cry and she cried herself to sleep. And while she slept, she had a dream. She saw a man come to her and say to her, you're going to have a child this year. But there are two conditions. The first condition is you can't tell anybody about this. The second is you have to give 18 rubles to tzedakah from your own money. So she she agreed to that, and he went away. The, the man in the dream went away. But then he came right back with two other men, and he repeated it. He said, two conditions, you can't tell anyone about this, and you have to give 18 rubles to tzedakah from your own money. You're going to have a child this year. And then the other two men in the dream agreed with what the first man had said, and then she woke up. She went to her husband, the Rebbe Rashab, and she told him the dream. Which is interesting that uh, apparently that's not called telling anybody. You know, your wife tells her husband. So he said, fine, we're going to tell my father. So they told the Rebbe Marash, which, again, it's not called telling anyone. You can tell your spouse, you can tell your Rebbe, right? Okay. So they told the Rebbe Marash. The Rebbe Marash was very interested in this, and he asked the Rebbe and to explain again what was the dream. She told him every detail, and he was very serious. And he said, "The man that came to you in the dream was was my father, the tzemach Tzedek, who had since passed away. And the other two men were my grandfather, the mitladebba, and my great grandfather, the althebba." Okay. So Simchas Torah is in Tishrei. One more month after that is Cheshvan, Kislev, Tevis, Shvat. Other, I don't know if it was in Ibbayor if there were. To others that year. Um, Nisan, it could be looked up, someone will look it up and let me know. Nisan, year, seven Tammuz. So that's nine months. If it was a leap year, then it was ten months. yud base Tammuz, the Firdek Rebbe was born. We all know the Firdek Rebbe's Yem HaGu'ula when he was released from imprisonment was the twelfth day of the Hebrew month of Tammuz. That was his birthday as well. He was born on the twelfth of Tammuz, Tophere Mem, 18... So, and Rabbi and, Rebetzirah and was 20 at that time. Married at 15, had her first and only pregnancy, which she carried to term uh, five years later. She named her son after her father, who had since passed away. We mentioned her father was a Rebbe in Avruch, Rebbe Yeshef Yitzchok. She named her son Yeshef Yitzchok. Okay. Now, I want to tell you a little bit more about the rebetzin shteyn as a um, From the time that she arrived in Lubavitch, she was instrumental in preserving Chassidus. She had a very good handwriting. You have to remember that in the days before, copy machines and printing presses and, and laser printers, handwriting was absolutely vital in the preservation of Chassidus. I mean, we all know uh, any, any of us who know a little bit about modern Lubavitch history, about the great Messidus Nefesh that the Friedrich Rebbe had with the Xovim, the manuscripts. He had boxes and boxes of these manuscripts, which he brought for, with him from place to place as, as he was in exile and took great pains to bring to America. And that's the basis of the Lubavitcher Library today. Many of these manuscripts were written by the Rebetzinstein Asura. She would write down my marim that were said by her father in law, the Rebbe Marash. She did this for her husband, the Rebbe Rashab. Later, these manuscripts were preserved by Friedrich Rebbe. You should know also that when she became Rebbe, after the uh, Rebbe Rashab became Rebbe, which was not immediately after the passing of her father in law, the Rebbe Marash, there was, you should know that Rebbe Rashab was not the oldest brother and there was some discussion about who would be the successor, but after the Rebbe Rashab became Rebbe, and the Rebetzin was the, the Rebbe Zin, Um I think most people know that the crowning, the crown jewel, let's say, of the Rebbe Rashab's Nesias, the, the innovation, at least let's call it, that was a totally new thing, was taim Chetimimim, a yeshiva, an official established program, an institution, for the study of Torah, where they would study both aspects of Torah, Nigla and nister, as an official part of the curriculum. And, um, of course, people were learning this for generations, since, since the Baal Shem Tov. So why was Temchitimim a Chiddush? What was novel about it? Well, one thing that was novel about it was a kitchen. You, you take that for granted, but people were always coming to Lubavitch to sit and learn and to soak in... Ruchnias, and that, that was just, that was always done. But to have a yeshiva, a yeshiva means a structure, and part of a structure means there's a kitchen, there's food. In fact, <laughs> you know, the hisiastis of Temchitmim, the official date of when it was founded, is the 15th of Elul, but the first days of classes were the 18th of Elul, Chayel. So what did they do for three days? So the Zusha Pardazan used to say, and when he would visit the yeshiva in Lod, he would go straight to the kitchen. He wouldn't necessarily stop in the Beis medrash to learn, but he would always stop in the kitchen to have have a bite. He would say, "What do you think the anniversary is? If they didn't start learning in Temchutimim until three days later, what, what, then what's why is the anniversary uh, from before they started learning? What happened? When, what 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 do you call it? They, they printed stationery? What? No, they opened the kitchen. So the kitchen opening that's Temchutimim. So when I come to Temchutimim, I make sure to stop in the kitchen. Okay." So, the kitchen of Teimchen Tamimu was the Rebbe Zenshtan Asara. There was a whole question, what are we going to feed them? There was poverty, they didn't have food. So, they needed to know there was going to be a kitchen in order to start the yeshiva. The Rebbe Rishab wanted to start the yeshiva. But where's where's the food going to come from? The Rebbe Zenshtan Asara is the one who said, what we eat, meaning Beis Harav, the Rebbe's family, that's what the Bacham are going to eat. And she saw to it, that was the reality. She saw to it that they would have food. And in fact, later, as Temchem uh, expanded, uh, Temchem was for older bachram, but then there were younger bachram who came. and um, in fact, one of those younger bachram who came to learn in Lubavitch was a, a, a boy by the name of Shlema Aron, Kazernovsky, And we're going to talk about him later on. Um because he figures prominently into the story of Rebetzin Shteyn uh, uh, passing. He was a Chassid in America. We'll, we're going to speak about him. okay? And uh, there's a whole story how he even got admitted because they didn't want to accept him, and he actually his mother brought him, and she went to Rebetzin Rivka, Rebetzin Shteyn mother-in-law, and uh, they begged Rebetzin Rivka, and Rebetzin Rivka got him in. At any rate, these boys, these younger boys, who were not even in Temchit they were younger bachrim. how did they eat? They used to eat something called the Rebetzin soup. The Rebetzin Shternasara, the Rebetzin made soup for these boys. That's how they lived. So, when you think of Temchit you should remember that Temchit means not just people who are, are free to sit and learn on their own. It means there's a structure, there's a yeshiva, there's a kitchen. That, that's the Rebetzin Shternasara. Um, there was a point where the Rebbe Rashab's health was very, very poor. I mean, his health was poor for many years. But at one point, the doctors told him he had a few months to live. Uh Friedrich Rebbe was like 17 years old at the time, and the Rebbe Rashab said, "Okay, I'm going to Eretz to live for my, you know, as long as I've got left." And uh, he says, "I'm leaving our son in charge. He's a new Rebbe, and I'm, I'm going." And uh, the Rebetzinah actually convinced him to stay and not to go. And actually he lived, and he lived for, ma- for many more years after that. The famous Kuntzr's Chanech Lenar is actually his ethical will that he wrote to his wife, to Rebetzinah Shteyn about how to educate their only child um, after he would pass, because he, he believed he was passing very soon. And there is incredible instructions over there about Chinuch and about, about parenting. Um... Later on, of course, they had to leave Lubavitch because of World War I and the Russian uh, Communist Revolution, the Bolsheviks, the fighting, it wasn't safe anymore. Now, even in that, Rebetzinstein Osada figured prominently uh, that, that it was not safe. So the Rebetzinstein Shab said that the family should leave, they should leave Lubavitch, and he would stay in Lubavitch. Rebetzinstein Osada sort of outwitted him. She knew that if she would tell him to leave, he wasn't going to leave Lubavitch. So she said, that's fine, um, the Rebbe can stay, meaning her husband, the Rebbe Rashab. but we're not splitting up the family. The family's staying in one place. So wherever the Rebbe's staying, that's where the family's staying. Once the Rebbe Rashab heard that, he wasn't gonna, it wasn't safe in Lubavitch anymore. It was too much fighting. And uh, so when he heard that, that wherever he's going to be, the family's going to be, he said, fine, we're leaving. And that's how they ended up in Rostov. She went with him. She left Lubavitch. You should understand. She was the last sitting rabbiṭin in Lubavitch. If you think about Lubavitch, Lubavitch, the actual town of Lubavitch, the last rabbiṭin who was actually sitting as rabbiṭin, as leading as rabbiṭin in the town of Lubavitch, was a rabbiṭin Okay, and all of the the exiles of Lubavitch, the Rebbe spoke about ten exiles of Lubavitch. All of the exiles of Lubavitch, she was there, literally until the current location of Lubavitch in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. She went on each step of the way. So she left Lubavitch, she went to Rostov. Um, After Beis Nissen, after the Rebbe de passing, she was constantly with her son, the Friedrich Rebbe, who then assumed leadership. Um, She went with him after Rostov to Leningrad, to, to, to where he, he relocated. Um, she was involved, and I'll tell you, that period was the, was the Stalinist period. It was a very, very dark day. There was one Fabrengen towards the very end before the arrest when eventually led to the Fetigreba having to leave the Soviet Union. The Fitigrebu was speaking very bluntly. And there were spies at the febrang, and everyone knew there were spies. And the Sidim were terrified. They didn't know what to do. They actually went to the Rebbe Sanchianosada, and and they begged her, get your son to please, please to stop, to, to make the Rebbe stop. And and she said, you know, you know, there are spies. He says, I have to do what I have to do. But she was the only one who could, could speak to. Him. I'll tell you also, I don't know if it happened in, 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 in that Tukufa or another Tukufa, but somebody once came to the Friedrich Rebbe and had a message from two people who, each one had a different problem, they wanted a bracha and w- one had a family issue, one had a money problem and this the shliach who told the Firdek Rebbe, the Firdek Rebbe started bawling, he was just broke down in tears and afterwards this chosid remarked to Rebetzin Shteyn HaSadah, he said, you know, the guys who told me about their own problems didn't cry as much as your son when he heard the problems Rebetzin Shteyn said, I know Every time I come into his room after Yechidus, the floor is wet with tears. So um, she was with him. I'll tell you something also. Um, When they came to arrest him, she was there. And the Friedrich ever writes something very remarkable. The two two communist agents who came to arrest him were, were Jews. Lulav and, and, and Nachmansen, and they actually both came from Sedisha families. And many people were confused during that time and unfortunately took the wrong path. and um, they became tormentors of their own people. So they came in the middle of the night to arrest the Fezikar Um It's interesting, sort of woke up. It was the middle of the night she came out and when she came out, she said, what's going on here? She realized they were going to arrest her son. And she started crying. And she said, take me. Why are you doing this to my son? He does nothing but live for others. He does nothing but live for others. Take me. She wasn't joking. They, she understood who she was talking to. These were heartless communists. They would take her. They would take him. They would take everyone. Don't joke around with him. She said, take me. Don't take my son. And Friedrich Rebbe writes, actually, at that moment, he said, that was the one moment he saw humanity in Nachmanson. He said, Nachmanson, who was so, such a, just a, we have no words to describe the, the, the cruelty of the capacity that he filled for the communists. But at that moment, he said, when of came out and she was pleading for her son, Friedrich Rebbe writes, he says, that was the moment I saw some humanity in Nachmansen. And he said to me, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to wake your mother. Please go quiet her, calm her down. And that was, and after that, he went back to his cruelty. <sighs> Obviously, the Rebbe did not stay in the Soviet Union, had to leave. We all know that. He went to Riga, she went with Rabbi Rostov was there at, at every at every juncture. Uh, after Riga, she went with him to Poland, at Atvotsk. Um the Bacharim in Temkhetmim in Atvotsk, regularly interacted with with Rabisinish Danosaud. She was a, she was a fixture there. She was just like in Temchitmim in Lubavitch, she was part of the Yeshiva. So in Atvotsk, she was part of the Yeshiva. There are many memories that the Bachem have of of interacting with her and her taking an interest in their studies and their their their, their welfare. Um she was there right until when the Nazis invaded Poland, and there was the, the airstrikes, and we, we know the stories of the, the bombing of Warsaw, she was there. In fact, Rebz. Rebz. Schneir Masada was, was in a home of a Chossa, that's where she stayed, in Warsaw, during the bombing. And the, the planes are coming with the bombs. They were very scared that she was in a, in a dangerous house, and they wanted to move her to another house that was in another area in town that was supposed to be farther from where the bombs were going to fall. And the xidim were saying, Let, "Let's let's go." Uh, and said, "No, no, no, no! I'm not leaving this house. There's a safer Torah in this house, so this this is a good place to be. This is a safe place because there's a safer Torah in this house." And she didn't leave. And the bombing came. And the bombing actually bombed the house that they wanted to move her to, and the house that she insisted was safe because it had a safer Torah was untouched by the bombing. Okay, after the Friedrich Rebbe left Poland, he came to America, Tess, other, Tavshin, spring of 1940, she was with him. When he arrived, she was with him. When 770 was purchased, and the Friedrich Rebbe moved in, she was with him. She had a room, she had an apartment on the second floor of 770. It's right next to the Friedrich Rebbe's the room where he took personal audience. Ever Zinstein has... An apartment next door to that, on the second floor of seven seventy. Um, I'm going to talk now about the events leading up to her passing. Yudgimel Shvat Tovshin Base, 1942. Okay. So she was only here for a couple of years. She was in New York for a couple of years. In 1942. The Friedrich Rebbe visited Chicago. Now, this, this is, there were two visits to Chicago. We're not talking about when the Friedrich Rebbe visited Chicago earlier, when he was visiting America. I'm talking about after the Friedrich Rebbe already moved to America in the 40s. And he visited Chicago in 1942. And the plan was that he was supposed to be there for. Two weeks. He arrived Zion Shvat, the seventh day of Shvat. He was supposed to be there for two weeks. There were, there was a major fundraising dinner for the yeshiva, two Shabbos programs for two weeks, a lot of yechidas, private audiences. We're going to speak about that in a moment, and and a lot of other events. Okay. Now, the Friederich himself was not in the best of health, so the trip was difficult on him. Rabbi Shneur uh, was also not in the best of health. However, she was relatively stable, or else the Fiddikaber would never have made the trip. He would, would never have left his his mother behind. Um, so she was. She seemed to be okay. And in fact, until the moment of her passing, she was walking, talking, davening. We're, we're going to talk about that. Um, so the Fiddikaber gets to Chicago, Zayin Shvat. He's supposed to be there for two weeks. And on Shabbos, Shabbos Shira. That was Pasha's Bishalach. She passes away. Now, let me go back to New York, to Crown Heights, what's happening. Rebbezin Shedem did not appear to be unstable in her health. In fact, she was on, on Shabashira, she remarked to somebody, Heint is Shabashira. Today is Shabbos Shira. Today you have to daven in a whole new way. You have to daven something special. And by the way, she was always very particular davening three times a day her whole life. So she goes to daven, the Shabbos davening, and she gets to the prayer called Nishmas. Nishmas kol chai. And she gets to the Nishmas, and she asks for water. Someone goes to bring her water, and before they could bring her the water, she had passed away. Later on, people put two and two together. They realized how similar her passing was to her mother-in-law, Revitin Rivka's passing, in Lubavitch. Revitin Rivka was also davening, and she asked for water, and before they could bring her the water, her holy soul left her. And Rebbetzin Shneur was actually there, and she said words to the effect, I believe, of that if only I would have such a a misa. And indeed, she did. Similar to the way that her mother-in-law Rebbetzin Riffka passed away. Okay, let's go back to Chicago. The Friedergerbu was not in good health. They were. They found out right after Shabbos. They didn't even know if they should tell him. They decided they should tell him, but then they didn't know how to tell him. They figured out a way to tell him. They told him, and he was crying a lot. He was crying a lot. He didn't say this right then. He said it later. But I just want to tell you something that he said about his mother's passing. He said that in general it's a sad thing when a Jew passes away especially if it's a relative, and of course a mother, and especially a mother of an only child. But the reason why I'm really crying is because she didn't get to live to see the complete redemption. This troubled Friedrich Rebbe and his mother, who worked so hard to bring the redemption, did not get to live to see the redemption. I said, Fritigibis mentioned that later. I'm not sure at what point, but okay. Motze Shabbos, Shabbos Shira in Chicago. Fritigibis is understandably uh, grief-stricken. There's a halachic term for that. It's called an einin, raw grief. And here's the incomprehensible part of the story: people had yichidis scheduled, personal audience. They didn't want to lose their opportunity. They started to beg the organizers of the trip that they should ask the Friede Kreber not to go back to New York right away. he should stay and have Yechidus with all the people who had who had signed up. Now, to me, it's unfathomable how they even thought that the Friede Krebe would have the presence of mind to listen to, to listen to that. And we also, I guess, have to understand that travel wasn't like it. Like it is today. For many of these people, it was their only opportunity it was a once-in-a-lifetime chance. But they, they asked that the, the Rebbe should be asked if he would be willing to stay. And after he finishes all of the Yechidas, then he'll go back. So they went and they asked the Friedrich Rebbe if he's willing to do this. And what the Friedrich Rebbe answered is absolutely I, I, I don't have words. I asked the an Rebbe, in his state of raw grief, if he will stop, if he will remain, and, and give this grant Yechidis to everyone who, who has signed up for it. So, he answered, since my father's passing, since Beis Nissen, when my father, the Rebbe R'sha'ab, passed, and I assumed leadership, Ichab Gornet of I have no personal opinion about myself. I don't have a say. It's not, not my call to make. Fidikhaba said, "What chesidish rabban will paskin is what I will do." And they, they got three chesidish rabban to paskin that the fidikhaba should remain and give give you chiddus, which he did. And that Matzah Shabbos as well as Sunday he gave you chiddus. Afterwards, he got on the train, it was a train, it was not a plane, and he went back and did not reach New York until Monday. Hamisha Asa B'Shvat. It's the new year for trees. The short trees give good fruit, the best fruit. I don't know if there's any meaning to that, it's just something that I thought of. but let's let's slow down here. Let's talk about what's happening back in Brooklyn. Let's go back to Brooklyn. <sighs> the Rebbe had arrived, our Rebbe, in 1941. Chof Chesivin, summer of 41. The Rebbe was already there. And the Rebbe from day one was managing everything, including this. Okay, let me explain. Um, there was a Lubavitcher, Helka, Lubavitcher section in a cemetery in Staten Island. I mean, I think since the 1860s, they couldn't have, in New York, you couldn't have cemeteries in Manhattan. So they were all in the boroughs. Um, so the cemetery was in Staten Island. It was called Bayside Acacia Cemetery. And all the Lubavitcher Yidden who... The few that were here in America from the times before the Friedrich Rebbe, that's where they were buried. They had Nusa Harid, and who, were, who came to America already in the times of the Rebbe Rishab, and even even earlier. So that's where they were all buried. In that time, in the 40s, there was no way to get to Staten Island except a boat. You had to take a boat, Staten Island Ferry. There was no way that Rebbe was going to allow that his Rabbit, the Friedrich Rebbe, should be in a position where to visit his mother's cave or he should have to get on a boat. So the Rabbit told Rebbe Kazernovsky Shlomarn Kazernovsky, Ka- uh, who we spoke about earlier, who was one of those boys in Lubavitch who ate from the Rebbe's in soup. Now he came to America before the Friedrich Rebbe. He was a Rov in Bensonhurst and an Ascon, a very important activist in establishing Lubavitch in America. He spoke English. Very he was very well connected, so the Rebbe told Rebbe Kazanovsky that we're going to find another place, not Staten Island, not not there has to be somewhere you can drive from, from seven seventy, and so they found Old Montefiore Cemetery. Rebbe Senstianusada was the first Lubavitcher laid to rest in Old Montefiore Cemetery. Now after she was laid to rest there, you can see matzevas there; they're not even far from hers, um, from years. After her, from after, like, from after Tufshin Base. There's a, there's a Kunin just a few feet from her, from who was buried there, Tufshin Gimel, and then there are others. So that became the, the new place. But um, think about this. Because the Rebbits and was buried there in Old Montefiore Cemetery, in Tufshin Bay, 1942. That became where her son, where the Friedrich Rebbe, where his oil would be in Tufshin Yud, Yud Shvat, in 1950, which of course is why, after in 1994, after Gimel Thomas, that's where the Rebbe's oil is. So if you think about it, all the people who go to the oil, all the people from all over the world who go and they pour out their hearts to Daven at the oil, in, in this, this random neighborhood in Queens, how did that happen? Because of Evanstinnesota being laid to rest there. That, that's 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 how the story started. And it's interesting that the Rebbe was the one who made sure that they should start a new section. So in some ways that Eba himself chose where his oil would be. But uh, let, let let's talk more about, about the practical preparations. Of course, there was a Tara. According to all of the, the laws and customs, but then there was something unusual. Um, the Rebbe, our Rebbe, gave to Rabbi Kazanovsky an envelope. Now, Yossi uh, Sternberg actually sent me <coughs> a uh, a recording of an uh, interview not sure from what year, but many decades ago, but it's a very clear recording of Rabbi Kazanovsky speaking, and he speaks very clear. speaking in Yiddish, but he speaks very clearly, he's very easy to understand, if you understand Yiddish. And um, he's talking about his memories of what happened with the Rebbe passing. And so he says that the Rebbe, our Rebbe, gave him a, an envelope, a green envelope, a Russosha envelope. I don't know what it means, maybe Russian stationery or something, I'm not sure but a Russian envelope, a green envelope, and the Rebbe told him that this is from the Friedrich Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe is saying that this should be done, that this envelope, and in fact, the Rebbe told Rebbe Kazanovsky, since you were involved in making sure about the burial plot, um, so you're also being given this this schus, that you should deliver this envelope to her. You should place this envelope in her hands. So Kazanovsky speaking. You can hear the, the recording. Maybe I'll post it somewhere where people can have access. He says, "I put the uh, envelope in her hands." He says, "Maybe it was a, f- a fantasy. You know, maybe I'm dreaming." But I put first. I, I asked Michila, as one does when one asks forgiveness from the ma- from from the mess before you do anything with it. Um, he he says, "I asked forgiveness, and then I." Placed the envelope in her hands. He says, I, maybe I was dreaming, but I felt like I felt her fingers take the envelope. Like he said, like Lebedika fingers, like like living, like a living hand. I felt it take it, like receive it. Afterwards, after the Leviah, the Friedrich Rebbe told Rebbe Kazanovsky. he didn't tell him what was in the envelope. Nobody knows what was in the envelope, as far as I know. But the photographer told her, "Kazanovsky, wenn man wollte gewusst, was dorten ist gewesen verschrieben. If anyone would know what was written there, meaning in in that envelope, wollte man gehat für ihr gornande dere chertz." And he said it just like that you would have for her a whole new level of respect. What was written there, I don't know, but the Rebbe told Rabbi Kazanovsky, who himself was the one who placed the envelope in Rabbi Zenshin holy hands, that if you would know what was written in that envelope, you would have a whole new respect for her. Now, I don't know what was there, but what I do know is that that's something to take seriously, that the Friedrich Rebbe told his chosid that there's something, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but if you would know it, you would have a whole new level of respect. And think about the level of respect that Rabbi Kazanovsky had already, for Rabish S- 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 Rabbasin And yet he told him, Whatever level of respect you have now, you would have a whole Gorananda de Deracharits. You'd have a whole new level of respect. So I think it behooves us to have a whole new level of respect for this holy woman. Now, the Fedik Reba was not well, as we mentioned. So he did not go to the Kvura, to the burial at Old Montefiori He was at the Leviathan, The Levaya was in front of 770. He went out for that. But when when the family needed to get the Friedrich Rebbe to do things he didn't want to do, they would have Shmuel Witten pasken as a Rav. And so he <clears> that Locha Because of health reasons, the Fidek Rebbe is not allowed to attend the burial. So he did not attend the burial. He did not go to Queens. He just attended the Levi in front of 770. The funeral procession. And in fact, he never, as far as we know, uh, went to Queen's and went to his mother's caver. So it's interesting, that the whole reason that her caver was chosen to be where it is, is to make it close to, it close enough accessible to 770, but he didn't end up going there at all. Which makes you think maybe there were other reasons as well but who knows? Who can figure things out like that? It's not for us to really to know, but it's interesting to think about. But at any rate, here's what I want to tell you, and, and this to me is just mind-blowing. The Friedrich Rebbe did not visit, now we're talking about from Tavshin base, Yud Gimel Shvat, Tavshin base, until Yud Shvat, Tavshin Yud, when when was the histalkus of the Friedrich Rebbe, so we're talking about eight years, um, minus a few days. So he did not ever visit the grave, as far as anyone knows, but he sent. Listen to this, pidgeonies. You know what pidgeonies are? What we call a pan, a pigeonfish. It's a very specific type of correspondence, and this this is written in in the memoirs of Rav Shneur Zalman Gurari. He writes about this. He saw this himself. That the Tefilah would write the nusach of a pan on a rabim, like we write a pan of the Tefilah a little bit different. Text that he used, then what we have come to use. But, but my point I'm trying to bring out here is it was the it was the formula that a chassid writes to a rebbe when a chassid goes to do hishtachos, goes to prostrate at the grave of of a tzaddik of a, a rebbe, and he would write that text regularly. How often I don't know the number of times, but it was it was it, I think Rabbi Gravi writes, Flecht. He used to do it. Like it was a thing that, it was more than once. It wasn't just a one time thing. It was, it was, he used to do this. And he would send the Pidyanis, he would send these letters with Rav Shmuel, with uh, Rabbi Levitin, and he would read them at Rebbe Sin Soder's Kever. Now, I'm just saying some commentary. Baruch Hashem, I noticed that there's a lot of activity by the Rebbe Sin Chayamushkas caver. You um, see wedding invitations there and all types of activity. People go there. Uh, also Rebbitzin Chana, who's a little bit further down, but also close by. It would be, I think, and I'm just thinking out loud and, and who am I, but the Friedrich Rebbe sent pidgenes. I'm not telling you there's a new minute to write a pigeon to a Rebbitzin, although that itself is just something, I think, at least to spend a, mo- a moment to be misbun, just the the wonder of that, um, but you should know that Rebbezin Shneinu soda, her caver, is just a few feet away from the oil, It's actually right next to Rebbezin She's right next to Rebbezin and the Feinig sent Pidgaius there, so it might be a place to start to think to to stop say to tell him. It might be. Um, and speaking of the Rebetzin Chayimushka and Rebetzin Shten I'll tell you one more interesting thing. You know the famous picture of the candlesticks? The Rebetzin Chayimushka's candlesticks, those regal, elegant, simple candlesticks that the Rebetzin lit with. When did she start lighting those, and how did she get them? She got them... After 1942, they were the Rebits and Sardis candlesticks. Apparently, Rebts uh, Chaimushka had other candlesticks also in the house, so maybe those are what she used before that. But she received those, and that's what she lit with. And furthermore, I will tell you that after Choth Be after the Stalkus of the Rebbeimushke, when the Rebbe lit Shabbos candles, the Rebbe started lighting Shabbos candles after the Stalkers of the Rebbe. So what candlesticks did the Rebbe use from that time on? Those same candlesticks, the Rebetzin, Shternus candlesticks. So the Rebbe lit Shabbos candles, when he lit Shabbos candles from the candlesticks that were originally Rebetzin, Shternus candlesticks. So I think it behooves us to reflect a moment on how special this uh, this holy rabbiṭson was and is. Her site as I mentioned, is Shabbos, same Kvias as this uh, as the year that she passed. She passed on a Shabbos, Shabbos Shira, Tovshin Base this year, Toshin Gimel, which is the 81st site is the same kvias it's Shabbos. I'll I'll just read from the Hayem Yem of Yud Gimel Shvat, which in the year of Hayem Yem Tav Gimel was the first Yortzite of her passing, and that was a, a Tuesday. Yud Gimel Shvat was a Tuesday that year. But at the beginning, this is how I started. It says, Yortzite b'yei mamisa afilo b'shona r'shena v'afilo k'shyei makvura rochet miyei mamisa A lot of people have read this. Okay, technical thing, I don't know, I mean. How interesting is that? That a site is on the day of passing, even the first year, the first anniversary, and even if the day of burial is rochig. Rochig means not just pushed off by one day, because she remember she her stalkus was Shabbos. So, anyways, it wasn't going to be Shabbos. It would have been the next day, but it was pushed off an extra day until Monday. You read this hayyim. I mean, okay, fine, technical thing. I guess that's arminig. How often does it come up? But if you know what's behind it what what was the Rebbe writing the Rebbe was writing on the first yard site of his Rebbe's mother something that refers to the selflessness of his Rebbe that the whole reason why the Kheder was rochik was was many days after the passing was only because of the selflessness of the Friedker Rebbe that he agreed to grant yechidus to Jews in Chicago Otherwise, it wouldn't have been pushed off until Monday. So you read a word like that, it seems so, it seems so technical, it seems dry. How, how applicable is it? How relevant? I guess it's applicable, but how, to how many people, how many situations is it applicable? So is it really relevant to me? It's very relevant to you that you should know what a Rebbe is. That a Rebbe is someone who has no opinion of himself. He is You know, when the Chayamushka, in her deposition during the Svarim trial, they asked her, how do you know that the Svarim belonged to the Chassidim? She said, how do I know the Svarim belonged to the Chassidim? My father belonged to the Chassidim. What do you think that means, my father belonged to the Chassidim? means he was an Einan. He was struck with raw grief. He was the only child of his mother. And they wouldn't let him go. Because he didn't want Yechidus. And you understand what Yechidus... We know what Yechidus meant for the Feudigreba. Because Rabbi said, When I go into my son's room after Yechidus, the floor is wet with tears. He had his own tears. And people wanted to come and tell the Feudigreba their problems. That he should empathize with them and and, and cry their tears. It's unfathomable. We read that. Oh, the day of the yartzeit, even if it's pushed off from the day, of, uh, even if the burial was pushed off from the from the day of passing. Oh, it's still still the is still the day of pass. We just read it like it's technical. And you're talking about a son who delayed his mother's funeral because he wanted to be available for others. That's what a rabbi is. That's what a rabbi is. And it's very sad, like the Vidicam has said, that she did not live to see the cool. Shtena, Sora, Bas Yesev, Yitzchok, should have the ultimate Aliyah of Triesa She should rejoin us here in this world and she should see, finally, the complete and final redemption together with all of us. Y'all